No future, no future, no future for you. How you doing? Late show, Saturday. All right. All right. Show. I'd like to start off by welcoming Archduke Ramon as one of our new uh, members to the YouTube channel. You can become a YouTube member or a Patreon, one of the two. They're basically the same, uh, same content. There's some content that's on the Patreon that's not on the YouTube membership. Both are great. Both have different varieties of things. Check it out. Check them both out. So I want to thank Archduke Ramon for uh, supporting the channel. I'd also like to point out that this episode in particular is sponsored by a very special shirt that we have in one of our shops. And you can see it's on it's on the link. Hold on. I'm going to I'm going to highlight it right here. You know, we talk a lot about, about punk on the channel. We talk a lot about pizza on the channel so it kind of makes sense to make a pizza punk related shirt and i'm going to show you what that looks like right now this is in our shop and i have more shirts like this coming check this out it's never mind i want another slice of pizza and what's great about this shirt is you know exactly what it is and yet it's sort of a riff on something else um uh, I love the color scheme. It's just, it's great. It's great. So check it out in the store. Link is in the chat. Uh, also, you can go down. You know what? I might as well put that somewhere. Oh, crap. Where is it? Somewhere. Somewhere around here. Got to check it out. 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 Uh, we'll probably talk about that some more a little bit later, but check that out. We got some people. Lynn says, I got blisters on me fingers. That's the that's Ringo. That's Ringo. John, John of Doom is gonna watch tomorrow. Fair enough. I, I have to apologize. I'm so sorry this is so late, you guys. Um, I had a lot of stuff going on tonight, and I basically dropped everything I was doing to come back here to make sure I did the show that I promised that I was gonna do. Um, oh, he's gonna watch the film on Hulu tomorrow. Okay, so I'm just letting you know. I mean, I, I don't really know if this, you can spoil it because it's not, you know, <laughs> I mean, we all know the story. So it's not really like, I guess you could say spoilers, but not really. So I don't know. Mordecai is in the house. He says, hey, Jeff, hope everything everyone is doing well. Excited to hear your take on this and great job of Ricky. Thank you. Oh, my God. It was so wonderful to have Ricky Rackman on the show. We had him on Pizza Punk. I, I had such a great time talking to him. We talked about Danzig, which is something I so wanted to talk about that dude about. And a big shout out to um, our mutual friend, Ace Von Johnson, as well, um, for uh, facilitating that. Really, truly. Thank you, Ace. Um, yeah, so we've, we've been covering, we've been casually covering Sex Pistols over the last, you know, year, I guess. And I feel like I would be remiss if I did not, I was knew I was going to watch the series. We covered all of the controversy surrounding the series 
we have to cover the series itself. We have to review uh, Pistol. Funny that it's called Pistol and not Sex Pistol. I'm sure probably for promotional purposes of some kind. Otherwise, I don't understand why you would do that. I'm not here to judge. Oh, my Lord. Oh, I thought you said you almost had a heart attack. Archduke Ramon says, hello, Jeff. I almost had a heart attack today when I saw that Glenn Matlock announced that God Save the Queen reissue will be uh, the number one single, which is fitting considering what happened the first time around when the charts denied or sorry, did not validate the fact that the Sex Pistols had gone to number one, right? Oh, I needed a drink of that seltzer. So good. Um, so I have a bunch of notes. Uh, unfortunately, the notes are not in order because what had happened was I started watching the series and I was not usually when I review something, I always take notes. I take notes because I want to remember, right? I want to remember stuff. And I totally was like, I don't think, man, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to review this. Like I, initially I was like, I, I I'm not going to do it. And then I, about when I got to like episode five, I started to take notes. So I have, so my note, my point is, is my notes are scattered and I'm sorry about that. I'm going to do my best I can. I might just jump around. Lynn Mapp says, I can't wait to watch it, man. Keep up the great bloody work. Of course. Thank you, Lynn. Again, just a couple of, uh, just a couple of preemptive pro, uh, realizations here before we begin. We're going to be talking about the series. It's history. If you know the story of the Sex Pistols, there's nothing really to spoil, per se, I would say, in that kind of way. Number two, we're going to jump around, like I said, because of my notes, because everything is sort of scattered all over the place. I'll try and itemize everything, but I don't have everything in a chronological order the way I like it. I'm sorry about that. Number three, what was the, the, the controversy that we were covering in a super quick condensed review? Basically, the the this series is very much based on Lonely Boy, which is Steve Jones, the guitarist of the Pistols, his uh, autobiography. It's a great book. It's 300 pages. What's really great is that the, each 100 pages, the first 100 pages is about his life before the Sex Pistols. The second 100 pages is his life during the Sex Pistols. And it's the third 100 pages is life after the Sex Pistols. So it's like, it's divided. It's 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 paced really well, and it's just a great quick read. It's illuminating. If you're interested in the pistols or punk history, or you know what's really great, and and I'm, we're going to talk about this for sure. What makes the book work better than say the movie is that it's told in a first person perspective from Steve Jones' point of view, and therefore it really. It feels like you're 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 getting you're getting the story you're getting the story from a slightly skewed bias, but someone who is trying to I don't know he's trying to have a a on, as honest of an appraisal as they possibly can of of that time, and you know that's ultimately the problem with any of this stuff. You know, as we cover all the time on the channel, one is one of the themes of this channel perspectives we look at different perspectives we recognize that everybody has a different perspective it's the same thing when we talk about the misfits glenn's perspective is different from jerry's perspective which is different from doyle's perspective which is different from bobby Steele's perspective everybody has a different perspective and it makes things sort of you know messy in that kind of way but 
you know, it is what it is. I think Steve Jones account is a pretty fair one. All things considered, you know, uh, he's self-deprecating and in, 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 ter especially in terms of some of his, um, musical prowess, you know, cause people think of, of, of Jones as kind of like a real guitar slinger and he's not, he's not, I mean, not particularly, at least not in the time of, of, of the pistols, you know, um, but that's another story for another day. Point being, John Lydon, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten, lead singer of the Sex Pistols, was super, super against this pistol project, especially because it was being produced by uh, or it was being produced from Steve Jones book. And that really, you know, um, that really bothered that really bothered Johnny Rotten. Although after seeing it, I would say the, you know, the first, the first two or three, the first two, three episodes, really, and then with pepper details throughout the remaining episodes, really are the, the that foundation of that book, and everything else is just kind of like the general history. Uh, I understand fully why, after seeing it now, I understand why John Lydon's so pissed off about the series he's not painted in a particularly good light you could see them trying to have kind of an even keel with it but you know i don't know i found him to be quite insufferable in 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 the in the miniseries so this is based on lonely boy um john lydon tried to block the release of this he was against everything he was just so going against the grain and, you know, it's kind of like a democracy in the, in the pistols in the sense of like, if they all want to do a project, they, you know, want, they all, they, the majority rules or something, or it goes back and forth like that. We covered this in such uh, uh, painstaking detail. And I can't remember half of the stuff you have to go, just go back and watch the episodes. If you have a long drive ahead of you and you need just like a really, you really just want to go down a pistol rabbit hole. You could start with those episodes and, you know, then we did an episode on Glenn Matlock. Did Glenn Matlock get a bad deal with the by by getting kicked out or leaving the pistols? You know, um, and now we're doing this. This is probably like the last in our series. Archduke Ramon says, since I have read a lot about the pistols history, I need to read the book before watching the series. I really think you should. I think it would benefit anybody to read Lonely Boy before you watch the series. It will definitely be a little bit more enriched. However, Maybe it will do you a disservice in the fact that it will really feel weighted in Jones' favor if you read Lonely Boy. I don't know. I don't know what the right way the right way to skin skin that banana would be. <laughs> what does that mean? Skin a banana. Um, in any case, Lydon tried to block the release of the movie. He was not happy. At first, he was involved with the movie as a consultant, and then he wasn't. He was kind of kicked off because he was just really unagreeable and just really like uh, uh, difficult as it seems that always seems to be a reoccurring theme. And what I've learned since making those, those pistol episodes that we've done on the channel, we've done three beef episodes and a Glenn Matlock show. Okay. So like we've done a whole bunch of stuff and you have some people that just really do not like John Lydon. And you have other people that are like, he's the only thing good about the pistols. Uh, it goes back and forth. Now, Steve Jones did have John Lydon on his radio show. And John and Steve Jones talks about, you know, the one thing that I kind of, well, I'll, I'll get to that later on. 
the uh there i feel like there was a better way to end the series than they did it, i, I like the way that they ended the series but i feel like there was a there was definitely some missed opportunity there um right in jones's book frankly um but he had had he had both malcolm mclaren and Lydon, two people that he really did not get along with on his radio show you could find them on youtube and the Lydon one's pretty interesting um you know, Jones admits that Leiden was right about certain stuff. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Let's let's dive in here. I don't even know where to begin because I got so many notes. All right, first let's start off with: do, Did I like it? What do I think of? What do I think of Pistol? I really enjoyed watching it. I liked it a lot, actually. Um, here's the thing: the first episode is by far the weakest. It, it's really weak, and what I mean by that is it just First of all, I, I was very on the fence about the casting. I wasn't sure if I was going to like um, the, the guys playing those guys. It's very hard when you're doing a biopic. How do you do it? Do you do it based on on acting and performance or you do it based on looks? Because we know in general, in general, when you're doing a biopic, we know what the real person looks like. We're imagining the real person. That's why, you know, that new Elvis thing that's coming out, the new Elvis movie, the dude they got playing Elvis really looks good because he looks, he doesn't exactly look like Elvis, but he, he has Elvis's energy. So I feel like you're going to like really fall into him just being Elvis. It's going to work really well. I just get that feeling. Um, here, it it's something that just grew grows on you grew on me when i watched the first two episodes i was like these guys are this is so miscast um starting with malcolm mclaren the guy playing malcolm mclaren is brilliant he's a brilliant actor and i've seen him in a ton of stuff on i got to look up pistol now to find um to make sure i have the actors names correct yeah macy williams plays pamela rook i thought she played uh jordan I thought that was supposed to be Jordan, whatever. Um, this guy, Thomas Brody. Thomas Brody Sangster plays plays Malcolm McLaren, and he's great, dude. He's in Game of Thrones. He's in a lot of like English movies. He's in like some these Maze Runner movies. He's in The Force Awakens. I don't know. I don't know who he is in The Force Awakens. Um, he's in a ton of stuff though, and. Uh, he's great as Malcolm McLaren. He's probably the best. I think he might be the best part. He might be the best part. He's a nowhere boy, which is the the John Lennon, the John Lennon uh, uh, movie. Sharpie Riot, our sponsor, says that he went to the 100 Club in London. I'm really jealous. That was a very iconic. That's kind of like the CBGBs of London, uh, where a lot of bands, The Clash, The Damned, The Sex Pistols, um, just tons of. British bands got their start at the 100 club. In any case, uh, yeah, this, this guy was really, really, this guy was good as Malcolm McLaren, but I think he would have been better as Johnny rotten, to be honest with you. And you'll see what I'm talking about. And when I was watching, I was kind of like, I was a little kind of, I was just kind of like, mm, I don't know, man. Like, I guess this is good casting, but by the end of the series, like with really all the characters, I was, I was very much like used to them being in those roles and it worked for me, but it did not at the beginning. Um, it's a six-part miniseries on Hulu, and the pacing is perfect. Perfect. So as I said, the first two episodes are, you know, it's kind of hard to watch the first. Not 
not hard. It just kind of, you know what it is? It's super on the nose. You know, they introduce these concepts from, from Steve Jones book, but they don't really have any context. Like the cloak of invisibility was this thing that Jones talks about how he would pretend that he was invisible, which allowed him to get away with all sorts of like, you know, petty thievery that he would do and yada, yada, yada. He used to steal band gear. He stole David Bowie's guitar amps and microphones. Um, and just like, you know, he was just a, a he, he was really into cars and clothes and stuff. And some of that stuff, they they sort of don't really characterize very well um, at the beginning. It just really the, the beginning is not very cohesive. But once they form as a band, the, the series really starts to pick up steam. And it was just, like I said, with a story like this, how are you going to tell the entire history of this band, which is very nuanced? in six one hour segments. And I got to hand it. I, I, I give all the credit to Danny Boyle's direction and editing and um, pacing. He paced it so well. It works perfectly, um, especially towards the end. Now, something that they do, uh, a mechanism that they use in the show to, to help them cover a lot of ground that worked really, really well for me is they will add, you know, they put in, they'll truncate a story or tell the story with um, with the newspaper clippings of things that were happening. And they are the real newspaper clippings from those times. There's a lot of uh, interesting B-roll archival footage of England that's mixed in with like the, the period stuff. And it does a really good job of sort of creating this cohesive, environment that hey we are in that we are in england in the 70s you know it just does it it just does it really really well in that kind of way um dan says that glenn matlock looked spot on that's cool yeah i eventually okay so here's my ranking let's do it real quick since since dan is bringing this up Here's my ranking of, of who, who looked really good. At first, Toby Wallace is Steve Jones. At first, I was not having it. It just did not work for me at all. I was like, this guy is a should not be playing Steve Jones. But as soon as he cut his hair and he had like the Steve Jones cut from when he was in the pistols, I was like, I was all aboard the Toby Wallace train. Perfect. Perfect dude. Totally worked for me. Um Anson Boone plays John Lydon, and he might have been the most miscast um, person in the whole, the most miscast actor in, in the whole uh, series. He, did, I don't know, man, like they, they really sort of did a number on John. It almost seemed kind of, you know, it almost seemed a little malicious. I mean, they just made his teeth like over the top rotten. You know, supposedly had rotten teeth, but like, I mean, they just really, if any, you know what it really felt like? It felt like they were trying to make him into the Joker. That's really what it was. And the entire series, John Lydon is portrayed as like this cartoon, this over the top cartoon. And I don't know John Lydon, John Rotten. I don't know him. I never, you know, I've watched some interviews with him and I know that. I mean, those cartoonish aspects are totally there, but I, ju I just feel like they went really, really over the top with it. And it was almost kind of like a middle finger. It's like, I don't know if you guys saw Lords of Chaos, 
but it's kind of like what they did in Lords of Chaos with um uh with Varg. Varg, who's um, you know, um just a um he, he's the guy who who murdered um uh what's his name? Euronymous. And they had him played by a Jewish actor just to troll Varg. It made him really mad because as you, we all know what Varg's beliefs were. And I feel like this is kind of doing the same thing. They got this guy, this super duper emaciated guy who's literally playing. He's one step below a, a, a deformed cartoon character version of, of Johnny Rotten. Um, there was, it was so over the top that he chewed really chewed a lot of the scenery and it just, uh, it, you know, it was interesting to watch. I thought that the guy playing Malcolm McLaren would have been better as John Lydon. He, and he had the right, he had just the right sort of accent too. He was good as Malcolm McLaren. Why shame. He couldn't play both, right? Shame. He couldn't play both. Then you had, um, Lewis Partridge as Sid vicious. And this kid's just too pretty, man. This kid is, so like like the real john simon Ritchie, not a good looking dude i mean just like a uh you know uh, to say that he's like you know just none of them i mean they're all kind of like they're all kind of odd looking guys you know i mean, I mean listen I, i'm not one to talk I'm not, not that i'm any casanova frankenstein over here i'm just saying that like you know it just I don't know. They just get, you know what I hate? I hate when they cast really like beautiful actors, like with, you know, clear skin and high cheekbones and, and chins that just don't really represent the characters portraying. And take a look at this dude. Take a look at this dude and tell me if you agree with me or not. Look at him. Look at this guy. You're telling me that this is Sid vicious man. I mean, I mean, you just don't, that guy, that guy doesn't look like Sid. I'm sorry, man. I am sorry. And then take a look at this dude over here. Well, and I got to check to make sure. Okay. Check out this over here. Let me see if it, this will let me go back. Is it going to let me go back? I think so. I think so. Then here, here's our dude. This guy is the guy playing Johnny Rotten. And I, yeah, man, it just does not. I, I don't know. I just don't think it works. I don't think it works. You can't really, you can kind of see him. I mean, it's just so goofy, man. He looks like a Frankenstein cross with the Joker. You know, it just doesn't work, man. It didn't work as John. I mean, John Lydon is a strange looking dude in in 77 for sure. And he is skinny and emaciated, but there's just something they, they tried to make him look like jaundiced. Like, I mean, they just really sort of did a number on him. It was just too much. It was too much. And then this dude is just the perfect kind of like oafish. He has the oafish charm of he has the oafish charm of Steve Jones that I think works really, really well. You can see it right here. I mean, yeah, maybe he's a little too pretty, too, for Steve Jones. But, you know, again, I don't want to you know, I'm not here. Look, at that's that's Steve Jones right there. I think that works. That that works for me a lot better. That dude, Uh, as you can see, this picture on the right. And then, the, you know, what sucks about Paul Cook is that he's just really sort of in the background most of the time. He's such a secondary character in the series. They don't really give him too much. He's very one-dimensional. He's just, you know, he's a, he, he's just a, whatchamacallit. He's a, he's a, he comes from a, a good family, a, a, a nice family, and just like a nice, I don't know. It, it didn't work for me.
did not work for me. They can't even show the picture. And then here's the guy for Glenn Matlock. I agree, Dan. The, they got a good guy for this. Is a pretty good Glenn Matlock here. He works. He definitely works. Oh, he's a twin. How about that? Okay. So this dude's a twin. So I don't know which guy played. Maybe both of them played. I don't know. That's pretty good. I thought that was pretty good as Glenn Matlock. That was a, that was a good choice. Um. And then here's the guy who's playing Malcolm McLaren. We'll go back to that real quick, real quick, since we're since we're here. Here's Malcolm McLaren, and he kind of talks like this a little bit, something like that. Uh, you almost get the sense that I don't know. There's like sort of like a there. There's a queerness to him. Um, I can't quite explain it. This is the guy, and you know he's got. He's a little too boyish. He's got like a real. Oh, he played Jojen. He's Jojen on uh, Game of Thrones. That's who he is. A little too boyish. Uh, he is. He is like boyish. Good looks. I don't know if it worked for for Malcolm McLaren. The hair really. The hair tied it together. The hair and the performance. His performance was 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 stellar. Man, he had a stellar performance. Um, Ministry, mist. Yeah, Minister of Darkness says. Uh, I'm surprisingly enjoying it. That's how I felt. I was I surprisingly enjoyed it. But yeah, Johnny Rotten portrayals a bit much. No wonder John Lydon is pissed. He's he's rightfully pissed, man. They really they make him look like such a friggin' fool in this, like such like an a, an annoying like you know wretch. A bit, you know. Again, I'm not like a big Sex Pistols expert, man. So I don't really know. I don't really know. And then Vivian Westwood is was interesting. She was she was great. And the girl that got to play Nancy was just perfect, man. She was really good. Although her accent too was very cartoon. She was a cartoon as well. She's kind of doing like a Harley Quinn. Hey, Mister J, I'm from New York. It was a little. It was that. It was cartoony. That was cartoony too. Um, and they kind of, you know, I should take that back. So. The visual casting wise, she looks great as Nancy Spungen, but the characterization was such a it was once again, just like John Johnny Rotten. It was one dimensional and cartoonish. And again, she's not no longer with us. It's kind of hard. It's hard to base on your it's hard to do a performance on someone who's no longer alive, I think, on some level, you know. I don't know how much I don't know if Steve Jones really hung out with um, the guy who played him, that Toby guy. And we know that John Lydon most certainly did not hang out with the dude that was playing him. But um, they do a much better. They do a much better job than the than the than than the chick playing Nancy. It just it, and the way they treated Nancy in this overall, it just felt. Listen, supposedly Nancy was an insufferable, you know, person, hard to tolerate on every sense of the level. But ah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like I, I felt like they kind of gave her a bad rap. Maybe we should go into that right now since we're there. So the way that they treat that, you know, let's first see. This is the problem with not having everything in chronological order. Where we're, we're sort of jumping around. Let's start. Okay, let's start here. The most profound observation watching this. Minister also says, and I didn't have high hopes. It's kind of like the CBGB movie. 
same situation with the dead boys yeah the cbg movie was atrocious although i did like taylor hawkins as iggy pop for whatever reason i don't know why i thought that was a great bit of sort of stunt casting uh right they had that rupert uh whatever his face is the ron weasley plays cheetah chrome which is kind of interesting i i think he was fully on board um cheetah chrome with that movie so so some of the stuff is so some of the moments are really tacky and the and some of the moments are really tender and some of the stuff is just just really 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 well done so it's like three categories you have these really heartfelt moments then you have moments where it just feels very like just realistic of the time period um you know just aesthetically again the way that Danny Boyle's style of just chopping up, you know, real archival footage of uh, various like found B-roll footage of England at that time just really gave it a really nice feel. The production design of this thing is excellent, man. I mean, they just the attention to detail is so great. There's so much detail. I mean, they really put a lot of care into making all of the environments feel really real. And that surely helped a lot. Surely, 100%. Um, I would say the greatest example of this was was the, 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 the concert scenes. All of the concert scenes are just great. Down to they're wearing outfits that they wore at shows that they played. You know, um, all of the shows that they kind of showed on the American tour, the, the final tour, was was awesome just just really really well done when sid's in the band and things get violent and visceral and there's blood and they're they're playing against the crowd it just the footage is it's kinetic it's kinetic and it draws you in man they just do a great job yeah johnny dingles hey what's up johnny he says the girl from birmingham was awesome i didn't know that story i didn't know so so some of the stuff doesn't some of the stuff is sort of not not um you know ad adapted for the show like for instance when chrissy hind finds out about sid vicious's death it's on february 2nd 1979 which is supposed to be the first pretenders gig which is false the pretenders have been playing for about a year before sid vicious died but they put that in the movie they truncated it was just like in bohemian rhapsody when they you know, Freddie Mercury didn't find out he had AIDS until way after Live Aid, but they changed it around to make the story to, to add some sort of, you know, impact on on the story in that kind of way. And, you know, they kind of do a little bit, a little bit of that. Um, but the, the, I guess the story, the girl from the girl from Birmingham, she was a girl from Birmingham. She just had an abortion. She was a case of extraordinary. Her name was Paul and she lived in a tree. Which Bodies is one of my favorite songs, man. And I got to tell you, I actually got some goosebumps. The each each one of the um episodes is divided. They're all tracks and track. I think that's track two. And it's called Bodies. And <clears throat> What's interesting is, or maybe that's track three. Oh, you know what it is? That So that song was written, I guess that song was written when Sid was in the band, but they sort of uh, did it a little bit earlier. I don't think Glenn Matlock, it's one of the two songs that Glenn Matlock had nothing to do with, the other being Holiday in the Sun. And um, 
but in 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 the show they they show glenn matlock on stage and not sid vicious and they basically weave these stories around the history of the band so they have one story is two girls who uh, I guess they must have been real girls. I don't know anything about them. They were like they wanted to be groupies. So they they drove down. They drove down from their town to like be around the the pistols. And then the other one was this 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 girl, Pauline from Birmingham, who was in a mental institution. She had to have an abortion. And then she um she had she carried around the the fetus in a bag, something like that. She carried it around with her. Um and that she had been uh, essayed um, at a mental institution where she was at. So that was a very interesting story to hear. They didn't, and you know, for the most part, they really did not shy away from any of the sort of scandalous, not scandals, what's the right word, from any of the really sort of extreme parts of the story. They they pretty much laid it all out to bear. You know, um, Steve Jones suffered... Um, is a you know a survivor of you know what and they showed it all that stuff with his stepdad ron that's all in his book man that's all in his book like this st that stuff he had a couple of you know instances like that and they i thought that was really good that they sort of you know put it out there but part of the problem was that it was too focused on steve's you know pov and i kind of wish that you know, like I said, Lonely Boy is from Steve's POV, and it works in the book. It does. It doesn't work as well in the in the story. I would have much preferred, you know, seeing these four sort of storylines. I wish they had given Paul Cook a little bit more meat on his bones. Uh, and you know, Glenn Matlock kind of he, he had a, a bit of an arc, a little bit of an arc, um, but not much. The people that really got the arcs, the people that really sort of got arcs were Sid, um, Steve Jones, and uh, Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders, you know? And, um, you know, not John, Johnny Rotten really didn't have an arc either that much, really. Um, he's just sort of like the same somewhat, he's not one-dimensional, but he just comes off as just like a complete basket case who, you know, also has this tender side is he's a mama's boy and you know he comes from a nice stable home his parents are proud of his you know god save the queen single and everything you know so i don't know i don't know demir says pauline the girl from birmingham was a real person she was johnny rotten stalker who carried right who carried her her baby in the plastic bag not a handbag yeah i mean just really crazy man uh, Minister of Darkness says, but hey, if you're 12 and discovering the origins of English punk rock, you probably love it. Yeah, you're so right, man. And this will be some kid's gateway into the pistols. And that's cool. That's totally cool. Um, Minister says, I discovered the pistols at 12, but that was 1988. Sid and Nancy was my intro into the band. So there you go. Yes. And Sid and Nancy, which is, you know, the one great thing about Sid and Nancy that just really really uh just worked really well was uh yes johnny that would have been interesting to give cook cookie something you know he just has nothing he's so he's so in the background the whole time he's just a side man and and i that kind of bothered me a little bit um 
what were we just talking about? Oh, the one, I mean, the best part about Sid Nancy is Gary Oldman is Sid Vicious. I mean, he's just great. The, the story is kind of dreck. You know, Alex Cox is a great filmmaker. I love, you know, Repo Man. But, you know, it's just kind of like sensational. It's very sensational, very stylized. I mean, this was stylized, too, for the most part. Um, it was weird. It was both stylized and yet at the same time was very seemed very like almost, you know, cinema verte in, in certain in, in certain aspects. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I'm jumping all over the place because none of my notes are in order. It's just hard. I'm just trying to go through. Go through everything, you know. Um, but yeah, OK, so let's talk a little bit about. Chrissy Hind. For those of you who don't know, if you read Lonely Boy, that's where I learned about this. Chrissy Hind is from the band The Pretenders, and she's an American that was living in England. She worked at Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood's shop, and that's where she met Steve Jones. She knew all of the pistols. In fact, she almost married two or three of them just to get, you know, Sid, Johnny, and Steve. She was supposed to marry all three of them at various times, and they that's represented in in the miniseries in order to get her visa she was she was from ohio and she wanted to start a career and she was involved with a lot of bands too she was involved with early versions of the damned before they were to the damned apparently so was sid vicious sid vicious had a whole thing with dave vanian he he really disliked dave vanian uh he tried to throw a a, 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 a pint glass at him during one performance and he missed um but he he had he was auditioned or he was auditioning to be in the damned and he like missed the audition or something he thinks he was sabotaged you know i mean at the end of the day let, let's talk about sid for a minute we'll get back to chrissy hind who has like one of the best character arcs in this thing at the end of the day sid vicious you know his role in the band was bass player and he was a bass player who really could not play bass and this is disputed some people say that he knew how to do rudimentary rudimental could play bass in a rudimentary way while others say he literally was incapable of playing bass and you know yet some people are like well he you know i've read read on like wikipedia that he you know would play along to the first ramones actually that's in a bunch of places of pkm a bunch of different places that he would play along to the first ramones record and whatnot but he was originally supposed to be the person auditioning to be the singer of the pistols that was the john there were two johns there was john john simon and there was john lyden and they were best friends they were in a gang called the like johns they were a gang of johns and what happened was uh johnny rotten showed up at the shop and was mistaken for john simon and he ended up getting the gig so he was always on their radar even when you know the, the band had already formed and frankly, he would have been a good frontman for the Pistols. Um, he was capable of somewhat singing. It was really the only thing that he could do. He was not very musically inclined at all. And he was crazy and he was violent. And he would have been, if anything, he would have been, a, I think he would have made for a better singer than a bass player. Um, in fact, when the band breaks up, I know I'm jumping around. I'm sorry. When the band breaks up, you know, they kind of carried on without Johnny Rotten for a little while longer as they're doing the great rock and roll swindle. And, you know, Sid sings several songs for 
you know, this compilation called the Great Rock and Roll Swingle, which is kind of almost like an un, unofficially the second Pistols album. Um, but you almost imagine that since they, you know, after Glenn Matlock left, they had they had hired him back as a session musician in some capacity. Now, again, here's another, you know, all this stuff is disputed and contested. No, no one seems to be able to make sense of anything. Uh, some people claim, or it's written in certain places, that Glenn Matlock does play bass on Nevermind the Bullocks, but he does it as a session musician. It's not Steve Jones. That he was hired back as a session musician, a guy who was not only the founding member of the band, but also wrote nine out of the 11 songs that they had in their, their, their repertoire. And now here he was as a hired session musician. Um, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's disputed that he was a hired session musician. I think what is disputed is whether it was Jones who played bass or if it was Matlock. Uh, Vicious wasn't even around. He, he was in the hospital for hepatitis and was very sick during that time. Not that I think they would even want him to play. He only plays bass on bodies. Uh, and apparently even that was overdubbed quite a bit. So Sid is not really anywhere. They used to, you know, as they say, they would unplug his bass all the time because he just could not play. Um, and it, you know, obviously it crippled the band, but you would imagine that if Johnny Rotten had left, we're playing a little, we're playing a game of what if, so Johnny Rotten leaves and they're still moving on with the sex pistols that they could have gotten Sid Vicious to sing front the band essentially, and then have Glenn Matlock come back in and be the bass player. So, which would have been the original formation of the pistols the way that McLaren had originally intended it. Assuming that, you know, Jones didn't have a drug habit by that time and that Sid didn't have a drug habit and that the Malcolm McLaren wasn't embezzling tons of money and that things were just like, you know, at a breaking point um, that they could have functionally that they could have functioned enough to maybe put out another album, uh, which brings me to probably the single most important milestone or you know catalyst time for this band the band is a very short-lived band they were only around from 75 to 70 78 right very very short-lived and really their their career can be you know categorized in the years of 1976 and 1977 and there's there's a there's a turning point where everything changed and this is something that Steve Jones, we've talked about on the channel before, and this is something that Steve Jones talks about in the book and something that Danny Boyle is so brilliant. He's so brilliant at, at sort of really conveying this in the story unadvertently because he eventually puts the blame on Nancy, and we're going to talk about that in a second. When they kick, when they kick Steve, when they kick Glenn Matlock out of the band... Or, or they force him out. Malcolm McLaren is, you know, manipulating. The The arc is that, the you know, Steve Jones doesn't have a father figure. His stepdad, Ron, is, is a bastard, frankly. And that McLaren was the only person who ever believed in Steve. So Steve is very susceptible to any of Malcolm's manipulation. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And until the end, when he finally walks away, I don't even know if you can really call it an arc. Nobody really has an arc. The only person who has a proper arc really is Chrissy Hind. She really does. Steve Jones doesn't really have an arc. Sid Sid doesn't really have an arc either. I guess maybe um, he has a destructive arc 
I guess maybe Sid and Chrissy Hine might have the most complete arcs, you know, for their characters. Everybody else kind of just goes through the motions of, of this and that. But his relationship with Malcolm, Malcolm is, Malcolm is uh, just such, he's just so manipulative, man. And um, he, yeah, I don't know. He just, he's super duper manipulative and uh, just played everybody against each other. And, you know, uh, was quite the narcissist, man, who just like ended up, you know, sort of appropriating everything and making it about himself. But what here's what happens. Steve Jones talks about how for the year of 1976, it was so much fun to be in the band because they were a real band. They were writing songs. They were playing gigs and they could play anywhere, man. I mean, they, they were just, they were making a name for themselves. And then here's what happened. They go on Grundy and they become internationally famous for cursing on television. And Malcolm McLaren is like, you know, takes credit for this, of course, and realizes that the key to success is not so much in the playing or the music or having good songs. Like what is fundamentally, what is, what do you fundamentally need to be successful in a band besides like hard work and stuff you need? You need players that have really good chemistry. You need to have really good songs and you need to work really hard. Those are like the three elements, right? On some, maybe I'm forgetting some stuff, but on some rudimentary level, you need those three elements. And ultimately, ultimately, Malcolm McLaren decided after Grundy and what happened on, on Grundy that, you know, because not only was, not only had it made the, the Pistols international, but it had also made this sort of punk phenomenon, counterculture, international as well. And it kind of ended up hurting things in the long run um, because of the, you know, the reputation of the Pistols and associating all bands with the Pistols. You know, you have this band where, you know, one of its members committed, supposedly, allegedly committed murder of his girlfriend. And then people are associating associating that with all of punk when in reality punk is this incredible thing it's this incredible um artistic movement of empowering youth to become entrepreneurs in a variety of ways through you know creating art you know whether they're making money or not they're they are entrepreneurially you know um expressing themselves you know through their art and it's really cool it's really really cool and that all starts with this catalyst that is sort of grundy uh be going on grundy cursing and you know the filth that's where the filth and the fury comes from getting in all the tabloids and mclaren getting this shot of adrenaline slash euphoric you know triumph going yes this is so awesome this is so great. Um, I, I I'm so excited to I'm so excited to you know uh, 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 be um, do something successful that sort of thing, uh, and then chasing the dragon once he's felt that euphoria, and McLaren suddenly it's like everything is a stunt. The band it's no longer 
it's no longer a band. It goes from being a band to being McLaren's brand. And Pistol, from the beginning, Pistol tries to convey that this is what Malcolm's idea was the whole time, that Malcolm always wanted this. Malcolm didn't realize what would happen on Grundy, but that he always wanted the Pistols to sort of be like more of a brand than, say, a band. And I just don't know if that's true. I don't know if, if that's something I can, I don't know if that's something to believe. I don't know if that's real. Maybe, maybe, but that's what uh, Danny Boyle sh uh, sure, sure was trying to convey in his, in his series, you know, that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> so there's that, that's the first catalyst, right? That just, the, and then the second catalyst that divides this, that divides this band into two versions of the band is in March of 77, they kick Matlock, uh, Glenn Matlock out. We talked about this. They kicked him out. Uh, he didn't get along with John Johnny Rotten. Johnny Rotten wanted his friend Sid Vicious in the band to have more control in the band. Um, Malcolm McLaren was annoyed and sick of Glenn Matlock asking questions about their money because Glenn was smart. He was the only one who was asking the right questions, you know, or questioning whether I should sign this or should we sign these contracts where they're essentially giving 25% and paying all of Malcolm's expenses and, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad for a managerial deal, but Malcolm, it's very clear that Malcolm McLaren, you know, uh, embezzled great amounts of money and they later sued him. They sued him and they got rights back and all sorts of stuff. They sued him to get out of their contract. Um, he had really, there was a lot of bad blood after, after the fact, but when they kicked Glenn Matlock out, that, that was the death, that was the death, uh, blow to the band. And the reason why is because when Mal when Glenn Matlock was in that band, they were still a functioning band. They were still capable of writing songs. They might have had Glenn Matlock stay in the band. They might have just they might have put out more albums. Steve Jones has said this. A lot of people have weighed in on this. But when he leaves the band and they bring in Sid Vicious, who literally they bring in a bass player who doesn't know how to play the bass for Malcolm and they show this so well in the series, it just becomes all about sensationalism. That's all that matters is do we have the image? And this is coming from a guy. This is coming from a guy who this is coming from a guy who, um, who, who is a clothing designer. All he does is design clothes. You know what I mean? All he's doing is thinking about image and branding. He's br constantly branding. And so essentially the band in a way sort of becomes devoid of the, the creative spark within them and really just becomes uh, this, this joke, this sort of farce, you know, and it kind of like the perfect representation of, punk and what punk is supposed to be and what punk is all about um it's all of it is personified in this guy sid who is a huge fan of the band and uber fan that that never misses a show and now suddenly he's in the band because he's john's friend um and he can't play and and then what the the series does that i don't like that really annoyed me 
they try to com- they try to put all of this on Nancy. It's all of it's Nancy's fault. If Nancy hadn't been around, then Sid would have been fine. And that's not true, man. Nancy was was a symptom of the problem, not the problem. They make her out to be the problem. And there's this whole thing, you know, they they sort of pseudo kidnap her. They dose her with with dope, put her on an airplane. They try like, you know, they do all these things to get rid of her, try and get rid of her as if that would somehow make Sid better. If Sid, Sid would be okay without her. When in reality, just having Sid in your band instead of Glenn Matlock, that's the problem. Sid Vicious is ultimately the problem, man. And the band was doomed the moment that they decided to go with Sid and the image over, you know, uh, service being in service to the music by having Glenn in the band, you know? Um So when Nancy comes in, <clears throat> she's just this one-dimensional cartoon character over the top, talks like Harley Quinn from, you know, Batman the Animated Series. Hey, Mr. J, like that. I mean, that's literally her in every scene. And, and um, it, it's just not, I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of, ta- I thought it was kind of tacky, man. I thought that was kind of tacky. The other thing that was tacky, as I said, there are just some moments that are so on the nose, like, and they do it in all biopics when they like show you how they came up with the name for this or how they came up with the so- the song for that, you know. And it's just this really sort of contrived on the nose sort of thing. It's there's no subtlety, and there's no subtlety with Nancy, man. There's a scene where she's taking a dump, you know, when you get um, happens, you know, when you're on and off junk you know your bowel your bowel situation is all messed up and you know in this case she's staying at chrissy hines apartment and they just show her taking taking a dump and it's just so cartoonish she goes like i just gotta use the facilities this food anything i put into me just goes right through me and she goes in the bathroom and it's just all like like actual like like these ridiculous like farting and dumping noises and Chrissy's like so grossed out. And I don't know. It's just ridiculous, man. Um, eventually they do show Nancy's death. And I have to say that the editing was not only masterful and tasteful, but it didn't feel exploitative. Now feels very exploitative and sensationalized in Sid and Nancy, but here they, you know, they never show her face after she's murdered. I'm very sensitive about true true life events. And the reason why is because when you're dramatizing something that really happened, it really happened. It happened to those people. Those people experienced the anguish that you're putting on. And so I feel like you have to treat that stuff with respect. And I think Danny Boyle treated it with respect. It was grisly. It was graphic, but it was real and it was respectful. And part of that was not showing her face. They never showed her face. They just showed her body sprawled on the bathroom floor. And it was funny because I couldn't help but think of the song Horror Business by, uh, written by Glenn Danzig by the Misfits. And, um, you know, the, just the way that they, you know, even all the, the cuts and scratches on Sid's body. As Sid progresses in the series, he sort of becomes more and more. He gets like acne on his face. He carves his body up. Um 
he gets rail skinning starts to really sort of better embody Sid, but he's still too pretty to play Sid. And, um, but by the time we're at the end, their bodies are bruised and cut and, and pale and emaciated. And it's not done. Like I said, it's not done sensationally. It's done. Um, it's explicit, but it's not exploitative. It's tasteful. It, it 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 pays proper respect, I think, to the people and the 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 incidents. Hold on, we have some comments here, so I'm going to go through the comments. Johnny Dingle says that the Swatsika shirt that Joey Image had was Sid's, because I doubt they sold those in New York. It's very possible. Probably got it off of Jerry. Minister of Darkness says, "Hey, by the way, Glenn Matlock inspired me to play bass. Check out his post." Pistols band, Rich Kids, awesome record, which was signed by EMI of all of all places, the, the label that dropped the pistols. Glenn Matlock did okay. He got he wrote nine out of the eleven songs. He got rehired as a sess musician, and he got you know he played in the Reunited Pistols. I mean, he's come out on top, if if you ask me. And now here's the other thing too: is that when they kick Glenn out, they're kicking out the guy, the most musical member of their band. Did they all have a help in writing the songs? I mean, yeah, sure. That that obviously on some level, but the musical, the driving musical force in the band was, was Glenn Matlock. And I think that's most profound in the fact that, you know, uh, they didn't write any songs. Really. They wrote, they wrote holiday in the sun and bodies after. And those are two really, those are two of my favorite songs, by the way, but, they wrote those after Glenn. They they wrote they wrote those after Glenn had left. Glenn had done done about nine of the songs. Man, they kicked out the creative force. So it's like they basically they basically took the thing that made them inter that made them internationally recognized and used that as you know. Um, they use that as their 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 rallying banner instead of you know artistic expression through music, and they suffered for it. Three two two Dan says Stephen Paul played on the demo of Joan Jett's "I Love Rock and Roll." Pretty cool. That's that's awesome. They did a bunch of stuff. You know, they continued on as with the Pistols for a little bit with Malcolm McLaren and, and Sid, and then they formed a band called the Professionals, and you can see them in the fabulous stains in that movie. Archduke Ramon says Steve Jones also played in his own band called Checkered Past, right? Yes, that's like a super group. He also played guitar on albums by Johnny Thunders and Iggy Pop, and he, he co-wrote songs with Iggy Pop on the album Instinct. Ministry of Darkness says, hey, Archduke, I've got that Checkered Past album. It's okay, but production is so 80s. Hell, Steve Jones played on a Dylan album. That's crazy to me. I, I can't believe that that that's real steve also played on a few insane clown posse songs whoop whoop that's hilarious uh demir says people say sid vicious ruined punk but i think mclaren did if he hadn't focused so much on image and sensation then punk would have ta been taken more seriously and better understood i don't want to I, I think you should replace the word punk with the pistols i i, I think punk punk continued on without the pistols just fine even though there was you know, all the record labels moved away from the punk label and went towards new wave. But, you know, most punk bands weren't getting signed by labels anyway. They were putting out their own records. So they were relatively unaffected in that in that kind of way. It was just more it was more on like a, a larger scale, maybe. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, McLaren definitely, McLaren, of course, McLaren ruined the band. But the fact that Nancy gets so much blame in this in this series and that she's treated as this Yoko and this this cartoonish Yoko character, I thought it wasn't fair. Um, you know, uh, the I mean, those were the people characterized Nancy in that way, that she really was that annoying and just whatever. But like, I just felt like they could have given her a little bit more dimension as a real person. And I thought that was kind of sad that they didn't. Johnny says, yeah, that Nancy was just a teenager. She was so young. She was 21. Belson was a gas and an old was an old Sid song, right? He sings Belson was a gas. Um, he was involved with a band called the Flowers of Romance before. All right, let me get through these notes because we're, we're an hour into this and I'm just like going around uh, in circles. Let's do a quick sponsor break. We're sponsored by riotstickers.com. Um, we love riot stickers check out their website link is in the description get your stickers from riot stickers check take a look at what they've done for us here we've got all sorts of beautiful stickers these vinyl stickers are great they're really great in the rain um i stick them i've stuck them up around my neighborhood and whatnot and you know the sun shines on them and the rain rains on them and they're still great they also do magnets this is a refrigerator magnet and this is a, a, a beer bottle opener. So if you need a beer bottle opener, I mean, that works That works really well. And as you can see right behind me, we have the banner too. And I'm going to use this time to go run up and grab another seltzer. So let's play our quick 60-second video. Can I run upstairs and make it back in time? Let's try it. And we're back. And if you missed the beginning of this broadcast, just to let you know, we have a very special T-shirt in our shop right now in honor of this episode. You go to storefrontier.com backslash from us and check out our special pizza-themed Sex Pistol shirt. Never mind. I want another slice of pizza. This shirt can be yours. Link is in the description. Go check out the uh, the the. It's the shop, uh, store frontier, shop. Check out the link in the description. Um, buy a shirt. Support the channel. Um, it's just a really great image. It's a great shirt to wear to uh, a concert. You know. It's like you're wearing, everybody knows that it's a reference to the pistols, but it's also 
a, a sort of a, a play on it. And, you know, if you're a fan of pizza, I mean, you can't go wrong with pizza. So check that out. Definitely check that out. Okay, let's get back to this. So where were we? Archduke says, according to Matt McLaren, Matlock was kicked out because he liked the Beatles. I wonder if the reason is just propaganda. I think it's more than that, man. Yes, Dan, I agree. The Riot Sticker song is catchy. It's written by one of the guys in Less Than Jake, by the way. Um, okay, so let me get back to my notes. Let's just go through these. Let, anything that we're missing. Okay, so the whole series definitely has a Skins. A feel, have you ever seen Skins, which is kind of like the uh, m- way more graphic and adult version of Degrassi in England, and it's really good. And it's sort of like, you know, it has like an English miniseries feel in general. Uh, the way that the way that English TV works is that they they do like series. They don't do seasons. They're called series, and it's usually a short amount of episodes. Sometimes it could be six. Sometimes it could be four. Sometimes it's even three. Sometimes it's like three ninety-minute episodes. You know, um, and it's just a very interesting storytelling format that I really really like a lot. There's some really great uh, British shows that are just done like that. Um, I think generally a series has six episodes and six episodes is really good for telling a story. And it's really great for the pistols stories. This is like an American version of that. We got crazy white boy in the house. He's enjoying the show. Crazy white boy out of Baltimore. Uh, Big shout out to you. And then if you've ever seen this is England, which is by this guy, Shane Meadows. And this is England is kind of like the British version of American history X a little bit. But it's it's a story that takes place in 1983, and it's about skinheads and racism, and it's really good. It's really really well done. And Shane did a whole bunch, whole slew of them. There was there was this is England, this is there this is England 86, 88, and I think they did one in 90. So there's like four series and the movie, and they're just great. They're just really really great. And this has that vibe. It definitely. So if you're familiar with this is England, I think that. This is like the pistols. At, this is this is the this is England pistols adaptation. That's the best way to sort of um, put it in that kind of way. Um, let me see what else we have here in my notes as we're going through. We talked about Nancy. Okay, let's talk about Chrissy Hind for a minute. So I didn't realize this until I read Steve Jones' book Lonely Boy that Chrissy Hind was uh she was very close to steve jones i mean they they were they were lovers they were lovers as you can see in the 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 show the the movie they were they were in the series uh and the girl playing chrissy hind uh her name is her name is sydney chandler and this girl is absolutely breathtaking she's beautiful 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 girl I mean, just, just, um, she just has such a quality about her, such a charming, uh, and she's like punky and wonderful. And you just almost kind of fall in love with her just in, in the series. She's great. She's really, really great. And she has a really great arc. She has like an actual arc, man, which is so funny because it's a show that's about, it's a show about the pistols and she's the only one that kind of changes over, over the course of the series, you know? Um, 
And so like all throughout the series, she's just, she winds through it and it's just, she's just really great. Macy Williams who plays um, the little Stark girl. What the hell is her name? Um, not Sansa. Who's the little, who's the, 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 the baby, the, um, the youngest girl. I love her. She's so great on that show. Arya Stark. So Arya Stark is on this show. She works in the shop with Vivian. Uh, she's great too. But Chrissy Hine, the girl playing Chrissy Hine, Sidley Chandler. She's excellent, excellent performance. Um, the the I gotta admit, man, the lovemaking scenes between the sex scenes before. Uh, wait, what? Steve also banged Johnny Rotten. What? Where did you hear that? Oh, his wife. Yes. In the in the book, in the book, he discussed this way before Nora married Johnny Rotten. Steve Jones uh, uh, used to sleep with her, used to go out with her. She's like really, really rich. And she like took care of Steve Jones for a while. Um, yes, that's definitely part of the the hatred between the two of them. Um, and Steve Jones sort of retaliated with that fact because he had read, you know, uh, Lydon was not very kind to Steve Jones in his biography. And so um, Steve Jones sort of retaliated. He responded in kind with that fact that that I, I guess apparently Johnny Rotten, John, John Lydon, he didn't know that. He didn't know that that had happened. But anyway... Chrissy Hind, yeah, she had a relationship with Steve Jones, and they are friends to this day. There's a wonderful picture of them on the red carpet for the premiere of Pistol, and seeing that picture just like sort of really like solidifies what like their relationship. It's so good, and there's this whole metaphor for them making music together, and um, she just has a great arc. You see, she gets hurt at certain times, like she thinks that she's going to be in the band when Glenn gets kicked out, and then. She's not, and it's sort of like because she's a girl, she can't be in the Pistols, even though she's the best one out of them all. She's the most talented musician of, of, of them all. And Jones gives her this whole like thing of like, you're better than that. You're better than us. You're going to go on to do great things. There's such a wonderful sort of love between them. And it's not a romantic love. It's like a love. Uh, it's like, um, I can't describe it. It's... It's weird. It's like they have a plutonic love despite having a physical relationship. You know, like they lust for each other, but their love is plutonic. And that's what's so that's what makes their relationship so interesting. Uh, she has a quote and I had to write it down. And it, again, being on the note, she says. She says, I can't keep pretending because she has the band Pretenders later on. I can't keep pretending that there's someone or something standing in the way of what I need to do. I can't find my own voice. Um, I love that. I love that. That kind of sums up her whole arc. You know, she's always sort of like benched because of the pistols in some way, shape, or form. And she finally realizes that I have to like, like realize that I'm just pretending that there's stuff in the way because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of like failing for her to go back to America is to be an utter failure to the point where she wants to get a visa by marrying one of the pistols. And she tries several times and it just doesn't work out. And she has a boyfriend at the time who also apparently used to play guitar with the pistols, but they don't really highlight that in the series. Uh, and he's kind of like a tool who also is a music writer, a real figure, kind of a kind of a tool. 
at least they make him to be out, make him out to be that way. Um, and she's just sort of like, she's just sort of around. It's not like she doesn't help with, she doesn't help musically with anything, but she's always there to encourage Steve. And it's just, it's just really, she's just a really nice positive force throughout the whole series. There's not a single, like she's so good and positive and wonderful. And I, I just really appreciated her character being as prominent as it was, even though this is not the pistols and the pretenders, but I just really love that she was so well represented in it because she was there for that history. And not just that, I mean, again, she was involved with, with the clash, you know, before Mick, she was writing with Mick Jones and then Mick Jones ended up with Joe Strummer. She was, you know, almost in a bit. Ba- she was in a band with the guys from the damned before they found Dave Anian, you know, and then eventually she did get her day when she got, when she, you know, joined, when she felt formed the, the, the pretenders. Awesome. Truly awesome. So I really loved, I really loved seeing that. And, you know, she's so upset when the band divides, you know, when the band uh, changes, when, when Sid joins the band and she knows it, she knows it before any of them know it, what's going to happen. You know, she knows that this is the end of, of, of them this is the end of them because you know, it's just no good with Sid. And again, why Sid is the person that takes down the band. Yes. Nancy is a destructive force, but Sid it's Sid is the person, you know what I'm saying? Sid is the, is the destructive force. Nancy is just proxy man. And that's what annoys the crap out of me that people blame her. It just annoys the crap out of me, man. Um, which brings us to the question again, I'm jumping around in my notes. Um, One thing that I will say about Sid is despite him being sort of like this, this sort of like, you know, um, most in real life, Sid is sort of really one-sided. He's very like a one side, one dimensional um, punk rock icon. That's it. In the series, Danny Boyle does a great job of humanizing Sid in a way that I never really saw before through the relationship that he has with Anne Beverly, his absent mother. We never see Anne in the in the series, but we just get the sense that there's that there's more to Sid than just being this this destructive force who is very much on, you know, uh on track, on a downward spiral to destruction. You know, he's humanized, you know, because in real life, in Sid and Nancy and in Sid's interviews, he's just a cartoon, man. He's just a cartoon. And I want to say that despite how I feel about some of the performances, the accents and the delivery of the characterization of all of the, the band members, especially Sid, is so spot on. Even the the cartoonish Johnny Rotten He's very much got rotten sort of inflection. I think Malcolm McLaren, the guy playing Malcolm McLaren, has a little bit better, as I said. Everybody's spot on. Probably the the most spot on is the guy doing Sid. The guy playing Sid just has his his speaking pattern down to so it's so perfect, man. It's so good. Um, so even though he's too pretty to play Sid, he he just he, he really speaks like him. And like I said, he's humanized in a way. And they go into the relationship of John Lydon and Sid Vicious a little bit more. Like one of the scenes where they're like really like on the nose is where like he's like, 
Hey, your hamster is vicious. Hey, my hamster's name is Sid. How about we call you Sid Vicious? It's just so goofy. But you do see this side of like, you know, Sid spending time with John, Johnny and his mom and having iced biscuits and drinking tea and not wanting to be banned from the house and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I don't know. You get, I got way more, there was way more dimensions. Also, I mean, they really highlight how out of control and violent Sid was. He was a very violent person. He was violent towards Nancy. He was just, he was just overall violent. I mean, he would just take glasses and just smash them over people's heads. He'd cut the people on their faces. I mean, he was a nasty, vicious. He really was. I mean, the name was apropos, man. Sid Vicious. Apropos, for sure. Someone here? Hello? Hi. You got my message? No. Did the door was unlocked? I haven't, but I did come through. The oh, door, good. So thank you. Well, I left the light on, so I figured. Okay, good. Um, you just, I don't know. You, you just get the sense that you just get the sense that he's more, he's multidimensional as, as to the way that he is sort of portrayed in real life. Minister of darkness says Malcolm McLaren had a plan for Chrissy. Her band was going to be called masters of the backside that right. And Malcolm McLaren, that was the, the, the band with the damned that was with, um, with uh what's up i'll park the cars don't worry i'll park the cars no problem um he yeah that was that band was with the with members of the damned for sure for sure very interesting um so yeah, so it was interesting to see John and you know John Lydon over the years has talked about how he feels super guilty over um you know uh bringing sid into the band he talks about that in filth and the fury he talks about it at the end of here which is kind of like the the coda you know um tommy says i can't wait to see pistol the, the pistols were a huge influence on me yeah dude you you it's a great series man i i enjoyed it i really did enjoy it despite my my some of my um criticisms here um, it's a good coda at the end of the, so at the end of the show, after the, the band sort of breaks up and, 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 and crashes and burns, we have this sort of like surreal exchange between Jones and Johnny Rotten, um, and Johnny Rotten's feeling guilty about Sid and, um, you know, I don't know, also telling Steve Jones, who's gotten hooked on dope because of Sid to stop so he doesn't destroy himself. It's interesting. Uh, I, I, I think for the ending, I think what would have made, and the final, the final bit at the end, they have this Xmas gig. It was a good note to go out on, man. It was just like, it was like the, it was when it just was really nice. I thought it was really nice. However, what would have been interesting would, would have been for them to jump 20 years later to the to the four of them standing on stage and reuniting as the pistols with Glenn Matlock. That would have been, and then playing their first reunion show. That I think would have been far, uh, far would have left far more of an impact than what they chose. They wanted to go out on a on a high note, and they do, because it's very dismal. I mean, you know, um, vicious, you know, kills Nancy and then he dies of his OD. And there was a missed opportunity to show us 
you know, Jerry only and Howie Pyro the last night that, you know, Sid is alive. I mean, I would have loved to have seen a Jerry only cameo. It just would have been really cool. Um, at, towards the end, Malcolm McLaren sort of categorizes his relationship with Steve as uh, Fagan and the Artful Dodger, Malcolm, which is funny because Fagan is a Jew in Oliver Twist. He's supposed to be like a Jewish thief that has all these kids stealing for him. And obviously, Steve Jones, who's a thief, is uh, is friggin' uh, the Artful Dodger. Thank you, Alexander. Thank you, Alexander. It's called that was the Huddersfield gigs, Christmas gigs. Exactly. We got neon knees in the house from New Zealand, and they are saying that the trailer is mean. And yeah, Tommy, exactly. Jump to the 96 filthy lucre tour. It would have been cool. It would have been a nice touch. They didn't do that, but that's okay. So they have this relation. So they really categorize Malcolm and Steve's relationship as like a Fagan and artful Dodger sort of thing. And what happens is that Fagan uses the artful Dodger, you know, for his greedy sort of means, you know, in that kind of way. Vivian Westwood is really interesting. She's a strong female character that I really enjoyed. And obviously she's a real person. But Alex says, I didn't want to like it, but it was great. I, I That's literally how I felt, too. At, at the beginning, I was kind of like really kind of cringing. And then as the series continues on, it was good. It was well done. It's probably the most like probably the most coherent film we're going to get on the pistols, period. So, you know, and I mean, you could tell Danny Boyle really try. I mean, he did such a good job, man. I really have no bones, with Danny Boyle, apart from some of the on the nose stuff that just is kind of like eye rolling and some of the characterizations. But Vivian is characterized as a revolutionary and her relationship with Malcolm is sort of weird. She has the ideas and then he tries to manifest them and twist them along the way as he like kind of appropriates everything to be about him, you know, like any narcissist, like any grand narcissist. Um, and it just, I don't know, like she sees that she sees that Sid is, um, killed nancy and her first first words out of her mouth is i have a great idea for a shirt you know um ultimately she tries to portray herself as a revolutionary but she's trying to be a revolutionary by you know through commercialization of her own art you know what i mean she's not trying it's not about sending a message so much as it is making money i don't know that's kind of how i felt about it she's still alive i wonder what she, how she feels about how she's portrayed but, you know, the thing that really annoys me about Malcolm and Vivian in this thing is that they almost it's almost like they're kind of portrayed as as people that like that they're taking credit for punk as a whole. And like what punk is, is supposed to be like this revolution of the of the uh, disenfranchised youth, working class youth, which is how it was in England. You know, it was it was more political than it was maybe in America. In the sense, at least political in the sense of like politics, not like social politics, because I think punk all around is about social politics, right? In general, it's about social politics. But in England, it was about the youth having no future. But the idea that like Vivian wanted to like be a revolutionary by selling T-shirts and like having fashion shows, it was just kind of goofy, man. It, it honestly was goofy. And it kind of leads 
it leads me to the, by the way, uh, well, I'll talk about the little things in a minute. It leads to the, this question here, here is a question. The idea of Sid Vicious not only being the personification of what punk rock is, like the ultimate punk rock icon, but if he is in fact those things, what does that say about punk, right? Because here's the thing. A lot of people like to sort of recharacterize Sid Vicious as just like a poser. He was just a ginormous poser who could not really play and just looked the part and was just really like, you know, acted like shitty and like, you know, did drugs and just ruined his life. And like, what, like, why is he an icon? Like what, how, and, and, it, and it canonized him as an icon. In fact, the, all those things canonized him as an icon. Um, when in fact he didn't even play a note of music, which is so weird. And, and um, you know, I want to say that, yeah, in a way he is, you know, I used to always, and I said this earlier, I said this in earlier episodes, I used to rally against the idea of, of Sid Vicious being the ultimate punk icon. But in a way he is, because here's the thing about like this idea of punk, it is on some level, you know, if you talk to a guy like Ian Mackay or Henry Rollins or whoever, or any of those bands that are like have their own label putting out their own music, punk rock is about like this. It's do it yourself empowerment through entrepreneurship of your art, as we said, right? Um, in the case of Sid Vicious, he's his iconography is not represented by any of those things. His iconography is the, are these sort of like these boring adolescent notions of anarchy, destruction, destroy, you know, and the idea that punk rock, even though like, you know, punk rock can kind of grow up, you know, mostly that's what happens is like, how, do, how does punk die? It dies when someone grows up, you know, you grow up, you you're punk that the idea that punk and rock and roll and rebellion are things of the youth that it's that you have to be young in order to truly embrace these things now is that 100 true i don't know i don't know because i want to say that it's not true i want to say that you can you know you can always be that way you can always you know sort of embody the counterculture in one way or another um you can always be an iconoclast i mean look at guys like iggy pop man that dude is that dude is always going to be punk rock in his own kind of way, even if he lives in a mansion with his bird and his beautiful trophy wife and has like beautiful cars and clothes and yada, yada, yada. For Sid Vicious, Sid Vicious in a way is the ultimate punk icon in the sense of, you know, live fast, die young. I, I don't know, leave a, leave a corpse. <laughs> supposed to be leave a good looking corpse. I don't know how good looking the corpse is. But it's live fast, die young, that sort of thing. And that if punk rock is for the youth, that ultimately it's something that burns really bright and then fizzles out, you know, whether that's life or creativity or momentum, you know. So Sid dying at 21 and doing all those things really, in a way, I guess, kind of does make him the ultimate punk icon. You know, and that ultimately what it says about this, that this notion of punk, since there's so many facets of, of this idea of like what punk is or what punk is supposed to be as a counterculture is that ultimately it dies and it dies young. And that if it's old and still alive and, 
it's kind of like the Vikings. It's like, you know, Vikings, you're supposed to die in battle and go to Valhalla. You know, if you live, if you live to an old age and die peacefully in your bed, there's nothing Viking about that, you know? And I guess punk rock is kind of the same way, at least in the vein of Sid Vicious. And so I guess that kind of does make him uh, truly an icon of punk in that, in that facet, in that way. I don't know if any of that made any sense. I tried my best to sort of like explain it. Um, but I saw the sex pistols, the clash, the damned and wire. Wow. Alex really like when, wait a minute, wait a minute, like back in the day, or you just saw when was the last time you could have seen the clash would have been the eighties. The damned are still playing. I don't know when wire stopped playing and I'm assuming that the pistols were reunions or you saw them really back in the day in England in the seventies. Is that, I don't know what you're selling me. You got to tell me. Yeah. I heard about that. Vivian and Malcolm's son burnt all the pistols memorabilia. They had as an art piece, which is kind of stupid. Watched it three times. Gigi Allen is Sid to the max. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of the American Gigi Allen is the American version of Sid um, for sure. In some of their live shows, he's definitely playing. Yeah, I, I think it's been proven that when you hear Sid, when you hear Steve Jones, when he stops playing his guitar, you can hear Sid playing the notes and playing them correctly. He he is play. He does play bass sometimes. It still doesn't mean he's good, man. It's one thing. So so maybe he holds it down. The, but I don't know. Yes, he was most certainly a a adolescent himself. Minister highly recommends Nick Kent's book, Apathy for the Devil. It really lays down the foundation of McLaren and the Pistols. Fantastic read. I will check that out. I will. And that's that guy, Nick Kent. That was Chrissy Hines' boyfriend who also played guitar in early versions of the Pistols, like before they were even called the Pistols or even um, what was it? Uh, Cootie Jones, Cutie Jones and the Pistols. Um, Lords of Chaos sucked. I liked Lords of Chaos, actually. I thought it was really, really well done. I was just talking about it tonight. You know why? The movie starts out with, with this is a movie about the about truth, lies, and everything that happened. And I like that because it's like there's stuff that they're never going to be able to get right. And they're acknowledging that up front. And we're just doing the best we can to kind of tell a, an interesting story. I thought they did a good job with that. Um, Archduke says... Yes, this is a great book, Minister. You are correct about laying the foundation. I'm going to check it out then. Okay, guys. Let me try to teach him how to play bass. That's that's surprising. Yeah, I think that's where, you know, in previous episodes, this is what I've always rallied against, rallied against and what annoys me. Yes, people always focus too much on Sid Vicious because he's the most sensational part of the story. And therefore, it's like, and even in this, even in this, you know, series. It's very interesting. Sid Vicious is in all almost, I think he's in five out of the six episodes of the series. And Glenn is Glenn doesn't get kicked out of the sex pistols until part four. So he's in, he's, he's, you know, very, very present through the first four episodes. And yet for some reason, Sid Vicious ends up overshadowing everything in the series. I mean, he really becomes prominent. I have to say, like I said, the storytelling was really well done. Like 
juggling everything that they did, they did a good job. Even if they, like I said, they, they let Paul cook become like a, a, a secondary, uh, a secondary character. Archduke says, I believe that Sid's base amp was at times turned down all the way at the Winterland show. Um, Alexander says, Steve Jones was the main focus of the series. Um, sort of. And then I think Sid kind of in those last two episodes sort of shares the spotlight with Steve Jones um, for quite a bit. The recording from... Uh, Dan says the recording from Clemsford prison is worth a listen. Not the version with the overdubs of inciting the prisoners find the original version. Decent sounding recording too. Okay. We'll check that out. It wasn't really about John or Sid. I, well, I have to say John is really a secondary, not a, he's somewhat, I don't know. He's not a secondary character, but he's definitely an antagonistic character um in 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 series i don't know i don't know um but it's funny how chrissy hind is like really like first i mean she's right she's a supporting cast but i mean she's the only one with an arc you know it just i don't know it was really good in that kind of way all right let me go through some quick observations i didn't take a lot of them because like i said well i'm trying to rack my brain for any of them let me see if i don't know i just like i said the production design was really great some things watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the drive-in was a great metaphor for them going through America, the South of America, uh, the American South at that time. I thought that was really great. And then Steve has sort of like a dream about Sid destroying the band with the chainsaw, which I thought was really, really good. Um, scene where Sid is laying into Jones for playing while he was cutting himself up. So later on when they're, when they're traveling through America and, and Jones unplugs Sid's bass and he's holding down. He's trying to play bass notes and doing his leads. And he's trying to carry Sid and himself in the band. And Sid is saying, um, uh, you, you know, you were really lame compared to me. Like Sid thought he was great because of his antics, you know. Um, and it wasn't like, I mean, he and when it came to the violence, he was a real dude. He did bash somebody in the head with a bass, man. I mean, he was a, a violent dude. Um, but it was just funny how, like, I mean, that's literally what happened. They just, be, they were no longer a band. The moment that Sid joined the band, they were no longer a band. They, they were, they were a, they were a cartoon. They were absolutely a cartoon. Uh, the recreated concert footage I said is astounding, especially when they get to America, as well as, you know, we have actual footage from the final U S tour in the last episode, which is great as well. Julian temple is represented in the series as well although it's really not emphasized but i thought it was cool to bring him over um <clears throat> uh we do get some characterization of johnny rotten calling jones and cook the backing band which was uh definitely something that jones really took a lot of umbrage with and again i'm sure this is why john lydon hates this series so much he's really annoyed that you know how he's being portrayed i get it i get it um talked about that talked about that talked about that revolution decides as commercialism i mean that's like that sums up vivian and malcolm completely uh we talked about nancy talked about the bands two eras um using publicity to get to number one i, I mean I, that's basically what 
McLaren ended up doing. Like, you know, everything just became a stunt. It was just all about stunts. Forget about trying to write good songs. Said that already. Um, talked about that, talked about that, talked about that. Uh, Sid Vicious fighting Allison. There's this really tough bouncer guy, Allison, who's supposed to keep Sid from being able to score dope and whatnot. And there's just this great violent like brawl in like an American like buffet hotel, hotel buffet dining room where just Sid gets the crap kicked out of him by a guy named Allison. It's really, really great. Just it's just great. I don't know how else to say it. It's great. Um that's it. That's all I got here, I guess. Let's just finish off some of these com- uh, comments. Zach is in the house. He said, without Leiden's lyrics and reprise, the Pistols would have never made a splash, in my opinion. I, I'll be honest with you, man. I don't think that's what I don't think that's what really did it at all. Because if if that was the case, man, he would have kept doing it. He would have kept. He, they would have written more songs, and they couldn't. They they really did not do much writing once once Matlock was out of the band. I mean, yes, there's a there's you know dribs and drabs on um on the great rock and roll swindle, but it's it's just dreck. It's absolutely dreck. They stopped being a functioning band when 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 Glenn Matlock left. Last bit, I love the great rock and roll uh, swindle film and double album. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never seen it. I've seen the filth and the fury. I've seen um, obviously this miniseries. I've never seen the documentary, the great rock and roll swindle. I need to see it. I know about it, um, but I've never actually gotten to watch it all the way through. Demir says, I like this miniseries because it's usually Steve in Steve Jones POV. Uh, when you think of the pistols, you mostly just think about uh, rotten or vicious. This is true. This is true. I doubt that John Lydon has ever watched this. I think he will. I think he will. And yes, you're right, Alex. You're right. John Lydon wrote three books and they never did a film of them. Lydon is too much of an a-hole to deal with. You know, I think that might be partially why he's so mad that they're that it's being based on Jones's, you know, and and the way that Rotten is characterized is that he, you know, really comes late to the band, you know, and he yeah, he brings lyrics. I mean, it's it's balanced in the in the series. Like sometimes they're you know they're 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 calling they're talking about how nobody likes him but then other times they talk about how brilliant he is and jones is the first one to admit like i got a tips his hat to john johnny rotten for suing for suing malcolm mclaren after the band broke up you know neon knees says there's some great songs on swindle uh swindle silly thing yeah there's that song friggin in the riggin which um Steve Jones sings, and which is funny because I knew it as a pistol song, but I never knew what it was from. I didn't understand it. I, I didn't really get get it. Um, Tommy says that McLaren was a piece of shit and he sucked everyone dry, the dolls and the pistols. Well, you're not wrong on, on certain accounts, that's for sure. Uh, the music was just as good as John's lyrics. For being a beginner guitar player, Steve had some incredible riffs. He did. He did. But I think, you know, he talks about this in the book. He admits that Glenn wrote stuff. <clears throat> but the thing that Jones likes to take credit for, and I, 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 man, I'm happy to give him this credit. He takes credit for bringing the attitude, you know, which they really do a great job of expressing in the series where, you know, uh, Matlock is showing Steve and he's like, he's talking about it's 
C note suspended on the second or something like that. And then Steve just goes, no, it's just C. And then um, he's showing him how to play it. And he goes, no, don't, you know, pluck it. He, he goes, he, he, he just, he's like, no, pound it. It's just, it's all about attitude, man. And I challenge any one of you go listen. If you want to hear like, you know, there's definitely like something to it. Like you can play music or you can like express music, like, like the style of how you're playing. And a great example of this, like one of the punkiest sort of like, I don't know, there's something so punky and, and snotty about it. It's uh, listen to John Lennon's bass playing on Helter Skelter off of uh, 1968's The White Album. When you listen, I, I, I challenge you to find anything more um, punky pre-1968. It's just there's something just so, I don't know, raw about it, man. So raw. Russ Meyer was paid to write, maybe direct for the great rock and roll swindle. Uh, after he wasn't paid, Meyer bowed out. I did not know that. Yes, Bohemian Rhapsody was atrociously bad. And that's the problem with all these biopics, man. They're always very, that's something I wanted to touch on. Thank you for reminding me. Um, they're always very paint by numbers. Everything's paint by numbers. Everything is sort of like on the nose or like, you know, literally it's like, it's like, it like again, this I, the moment that really comes to mind is where he's like, he's like, hey, your your hamster Sid is really vicious. And it's like, oh, that's a great idea. We'll call you Sid Vicious. It's just so stupid. And Bohemian Rhapsody is full of moments like that. However, that live footage of Live Aid, that recreation of Live Aid footage, mwah, just excellent. Excellent. And the casting was good, too. Casting was good as well. Sid Vicious, Sid's version of My Way, which Steve Jones played on Classic. Yeah, it's great. It's good. It is good. It is good. Alexander says Glenn Matlock wrote Pretty Vicious, the punk. You mean Pretty Vacant? Pretty Vicious? Uh, the punk rock song of all time. Zach says, but with the Queen's Jubilee right now and all the press that this is getting, you know, about this Hulu thing, I guarantee record sales are going to go uh, go up uh, and Johnny John Lydon will get be getting his residuals. Of course. And they also each got, check this out. Did you know this? They each got 5 million pounds. That's, did you, that, you heard correctly, 5 million pounds a piece. It's my understanding for the music uh, associated. I don't think it was 5 million total. I think it was five million a piece. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's correct. Maybe I'm wrong. They got a lot of money for this for this mini series, man. I didn't know that the Queen's Jubilee was happening right right now. And yes, I mean that's what, always what happens. I mean, look at what happened right now. I don't even watch Stranger Things, but there's some song from the '80s, and I guess sales have gone up eight thousand percent. That's what you know. It's funny. You know why people play the Super Bowl for free? Uh, they play Super Bowl for three um, because, you know, A, it's you're getting millions of dollars in exposure, but B, um, you see such a spike. You see such a spike in music sales just from um, playing on the Super Bowl. So there's that. Um, 
Guys, that I have to tell you, that was a really sloppy review. It was un I was really like my phone kept going off every five seconds and my notes were not in chronological order, which really annoyed me. I felt like we really jumped around. Yeah, sorry, it was Kate Bush. Thank you, Neon Nice. It was Kate Bush who went to number one due to Stranger Things. Um, but yeah, I just want to apologize for that. And in the future, if I know that I'm reviewing something, I will make sure to take ample friggin' notes. This was just very impulsive. Uh, I hope you enjoyed tonight. Uh, once again, if you like this content, and I'm putting this out there, I, I think I'm pretty good about this. I don't really make a big fuss. Um, please consider uh, supporting the channel. Uh, you can do that by uh, checking out the thank you button with the little heart shape with like a little dollar sign uh, or buying a coffee or joining the YouTube membership like the Archduke Ramon just did earlier. I think it's Archduke. What's his name? Due to the beginning, Archduke Ramon. I was correct. Archduke Ramon became a, uh, a member. You become a member. You could buy a T-shirt in the store um, or you could join the Patreon and see a bunch of goodies that are not available anywhere else. But um, please consider uh, doing something to support the channel. It really is a great help. In, in, in the very least, um, sharing this video or liking this video, leaving a comment, and most of all, subscribing. Subscribing is a really great way you can help this channel. So if you enjoyed this content, um, please consider those things. In the meantime, let me tell you about the Patreon. We always have a, we have a wonderful way of closing out the show. We say peace, hair grease, and Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it going to be successful? I don't know. But I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time, uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. <laughs> so right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee. But it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. <laughs> the YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind the scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just wanna thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates, 
that subscribes. That's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.